For our text this morning, we will pick up where Brother Darrell left off in our scripture reading. Our text will be Matthew chapter 14, and we'll continue reading verse 30 and 31. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? It's amazing how quickly Peter went from walking above the wind and the waves and the sea to suddenly sinking beneath those same waves. Life seems that way sometimes. You know, we used to have an old saying at work, you can go from being a hero to a zero in just a matter of minutes or seconds even. Well, what happened to Peter here? Just a few moments before, he was walking on top of the water, and all of a sudden he was sinking beneath the waves. You know, Jesus asked him a very pointed question. He says, Wherefore didst thou doubt? Brother Carver preached on this very text several years ago, and I remember something he said. It kind of stayed with me. It says, Jesus always saves the sinker before he rebukes the doubter. Well, we're thankful for that. The Lord understands we as humans oftentimes can be prone to doubt, but the Lord asked Peter, why did you doubt? This might have been one of the only times in Scripture where Peter didn't have a ready answer. At least we don't see Peter replying to the Lord's question. It's kind of easy to indict Peter. You know, it might be easy to wonder, how could Peter have doubted? You think about all of the things that Peter had already witnessed what Christ had done, even prior to this event here. Peter was one of Christ's first disciples. We know in the beginning of Matthew, I believe about chapter 3, as Jesus came out of the wilderness and he had endured that temptation 40 days and 40 nights and he began his public ministry. He said he went into Galilee and one of the very first people he called was Peter along with his brother Andrew. So Peter would have been following Christ from the very beginning Peter, no doubt, would have been witness to all of the miraculous things that Jesus was doing. You might say he would have had a a front row seat to many of the miracles that the Lord performed. In chapter 8, we read where uh, the multitude gathered and there was a leper that came to Jesus and worshipped the Lord and asked the Lord to heal him. And Jesus did something very unusual. He actually reached out and touched this man, which was very unusual and actually against the law at the time, the Jewish law, the lepers were considered unclean, but Jesus in his, in his compassion reached out and actually touched this man and healed him completely, immediately. Peter would have witnessed that. Right after that event, we read where they were traveling along and a centurion man came and he told Jesus, he says, my servant uh, is lying on his bed, grievously uh, sick with palsy. And Jesus said, I'll go with you and I'll go and heal him. And the man, he said, I'm not even worthy to have you come under my roof. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Well, Jesus marveled at that kind of faith. 
says there's not so great a faith in all of Israel. And that man's servant was made whole from that very hour. Right immediately following that, we read where Jesus went into Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law was laid up with a fever, very sick. It says Jesus touched her hand and immediately the fever left her and she rose up and ministered to them. We know in chapter 8 also it says that many that were possessed with devils and many that were sick were brought to the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus healed them all. So again, Peter would have witnessed all of these things. This wasn't the first storm that the disciples had encountered, the one we read about. We also read in chapter 8 that Jesus told them to depart and go on to the other side. And it said, as Jesus entered into the ship, they followed him. Well, sometime in the middle of the night, a great tempest arose. It says the waves covered the ship. Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the ship, the bottom of the boat. And the disciples seemed to forget that the Lord was there with them. The Lord told them to go to the other side, and they, of course, panicked. They woke Jesus up. first thing they said is, Lord, save us, we perish. Or in Mark's account, they actually asked Jesus a question. They said, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? What a faithless question. Of course he cared. So Jesus rose up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and it says immediately there was a great calm and these men marveled. They said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And they worshiped him. Well, as soon as they got to the other side, they accounted the demoniac in the tombs. This man had been bound and tormented and tortured for years. They said he was naked and he'd run around in the tombs cutting himself. And people tried at times to help him, even tried to bind him with chains. And he was so possessed, he would just break those chains well, just a few moments with Jesus, the Lord cast those devils out. And this man, they found him clothed and in his right mind, seated at the feet of Jesus. Peter would have witnessed that. We know that the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years, as they were going to heal Jairus' daughter and raise her up, this woman pressed through the crowd and touched Jesus' garment. She said, if immediately, if, if I could just touch his garment, I'd be made whole. And in a moment of time, just by touching Jesus, an issue she'd struggled with 12 years was immediately taken care of. One account says that uh, he, he turned around and said, who touched me? I felt virtue go out of me. And the disciple said, Lord, why do you ask who touched you? There's people all around you. I wonder if Peter asked that question. Lord, what do you mean who touched you? Well, he knew this woman had touched him and she gave testimony to what the Lord had done. Peter would have witnessed all these things. We see Jesus healing the man with the withered hand in the synagogue and on the Sabbath. That was a big no-no. But Jesus saw this man's need and he told him to reach out his hand and he touched the man and that man was made whole from that very moment. And then the last thing we see Jesus doing for the disciples right before they entered this ship in this account we read we see him feeding a multitude of people, 5,000 men besides women and children. Some commentators say if you counted the women and children, that could have put the crowd at anywhere to fifteen to 20,000 people. And he fed them with five small loaves and two fish. Of course, the disciples at first were skeptical. They had been following Jesus and they had gotten hungry. The disciples tried to tell Jesus what he should do. He said, Lord, send him away to go buy bread. And Jesus said, 
no need for that. Have them sit down and feed them. Well, they said, we only have five loaves and two fish. Jesus said, bring those things to me. And he broke them. And he had his disciples hand them out to the crowd there. Those disciples, one of them would have included Peter just to add some icing on the cake. I don't know if they had cake. That's just an expression. But to prove his point, he told them afterward, after they've all eaten and are full, gather up what's left over. And they gathered 12 baskets full, left over. I wonder if 12 was a significant number. Maybe Jesus gave each one of his 12 disciples a basket of food to remind them of who it it was they were serving and what he could do. All of these things, these were things that Peter had witnessed and seen firsthand. Well, then we come to the account we read about where Jesus told them he sent away the multitudes. He says, while I'm sending away, go on to the other side. And as they did that, we know, again, they encountered another storm. And this time they saw Jesus walking on the water and they were afraid. So Peter called out and said, Lord, if it be you, bid me come unto thee on the water. Jesus just spoke one word. He said, come. So what did Peter do? He stepped out of the boat. Peter did something no one else in human history has ever done from that time till this, saved Jesus. He walked on water. He actually was walking on the water. We don't know how far he got. The Bible doesn't tell us. I don't know how many steps he took. We don't even know how long he was able to stay afloat. All we know is that he was doing what was humanly impossible. Peter, in that moment, had placed his complete confidence in Jesus Christ and his power to do what was humanly impossible, and he stepped out in faith. You know, in a sense, if you're here this morning and you're saved, Jesus has already done the impossible in your heart and life. When you're saved, the Bible says you pass from death into life. No human being can do that for you. It says we become brand new creatures in Christ Jesus. And that first step you take as a new Christian It's kind of like walking on top of the water. We're walking in newness of life, and it takes faith to do that. Well, Peter was doing that. Then all of a sudden, what happens? He begins to sink, and it says he called out to Jesus, and immediately Jesus was there to reach out his hand and pull him out of the water. You ever wonder how they got back to the boat? Scripture doesn't tell us, but I've often thought of that. I wonder... Did Jesus pick him up and carry him in a fireman's carry back to the boat? Did he give him a piggyback ride? Or did he just pick him up, put his arm around Peter and walk alongside him? We don't know. But somehow, they got back to the boat. That's no less miraculous for sure. You know, as I read this account, I was pretty impressed with Peter's initial faith. I think most of us would be. You know, he was only one out of all the disciples who was willing to actually get out of the boat. They were probably content just to kind of sit back and see what happened. Maybe even encourage them, yeah, Peter, you go for it. (laughs) Well, he was the only one that got out of the boat. We might even expect Jesus to praise him for his little faith. He had some faith and he seemed to exercise it. But you know, Jesus was far more concerned about what stopped Peter from continuing to trust him 
rather than his initial faith that allowed him to take that first step? What could have possibly stopped him from continuing to walk on the power on the the water and the power of God once he began to do that? Rather than praise Peter for the initial faith that got him started, he wanted Peter to realize what it was that had caused him to stop trusting. Why did Peter doubt? Well, why do you doubt? Why do I doubt? As Christians, why do we doubt? Well, it could be for the very same reason that Peter doubted. Verse 30 gives us the answer. It says, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. He saw the storm and he was afraid. You know, he took his eyes off Jesus and he got his eyes onto the circumstances surrounding him. How often does that happen to us? We're stepping out in faith. We're standing on the promises of God. And all of a sudden, something comes along, a storm or a wave. We get our eyes on the circumstances. What happens to our faith? So often we can begin to doubt. But thank the Lord, Jesus saves the sinker before he rebukes the doubter. You know, we have many examples in God's word of those who fell into unbelief based completely and entirely on what they saw. Numbers chapter 13, we read about the 12 spies and Moses sent them out to spy out the promised land. You think about what God had done for them to get them to this point, led them out of Egyptian bondage. They'd been slaves for over 400 years, brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground. When they got out there to the wilderness, he provided them with quail and manna to eat, provided them with water from a rock and took them right up to the promised land. But verse 33 of Numbers 13 says, There we saw the giants, and we were as grasshoppers in their sight. They became afraid. They saw these giants in these high-walled cities, and 10 out of the 12 spies, they were naysayers, and they stirred up the whole multitude, and they caused them to doubt God's promises, except, of course, for Joshua and Caleb. They'd completely forgotten everything God had promised them. They'd forgotten the miracles God had already done for them entirely because of what they saw, how they felt. That generation of doubters, it says they bleached their bones in the wilderness for the next 40 years, except for Joshua and Caleb. They were the only ones who stood on God's promises. 40 years later, they went in to receive their inheritance. In 1 Samuel 17, we read, Verse 24 and 25, it says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And they said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. Well, they saw Goliath. All they could see was this huge opponent. And here in this account, we see an entire army, the armies of the living God, nonetheless, Cowering in fear, they completely lost confidence in God and in his promises, all because of what they saw. They'd forgotten the promises and the victories God had already won for them. There wasn't one person in that entire army willing to step out in faith. So what did God have to do? He had to go out into the wilderness and pull aside a shepherd boy to come in and kill a giant. 
How often do we see something and it concerns us and then we become fearful and afraid and we begin to doubt? You know, faith in God has nothing to do with what we see or how we feel. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith allows us to look beyond what is seen to the unseen. Doubt causes us to focus in only on what we can see. Both are choices. We can choose to believe God. We can choose to take God at His promises. We can choose to stand on His Word and be victorious, or we can doubt. And we can lose out. The choice that we make will make the difference between victory and defeat. You know, Joshua and Caleb, they saw the exact same thing those other ten spies had seen physically. They'd spent 40 days with these men scouting out the land and seeing all of these things that God had promised. But when these men saw the giants and obstacles, all Joshua and Caleb could see were God's promises and his inheritance and his promises waiting to be uh, possessed and claimed. They saw the same things with their physical eyes, but they saw it differently because they were looking through the eyes of faith and it made all the difference. David saw the giant. He heard this guy out there shooting out his, shooting, shooting his mouth off and challenging the armies of the living God. Apparently he'd been doing this for 40 days. He saw the giant. He heard what he was saying. But I love his response. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would dare defy the armies of the living God? Who's going to take this reproach away from Israel? Well, David stepped up because he saw God's promises. He remembered past victories God had given him there in the wilderness against the lion and the bear, and he stepped out in faith. You know, it's amazing what a difference a faith-filled perspective can make. There are some who see difficulties in every possibility. Well, through faith, we see possibility in every difficulty. We know that the trying of our faith, it works patience, but we know sometimes in the difficult things and in the trials and the storms of life, that's when we have the opportunity to prove the Lord, and that's when He does prove Himself to us. It's amazing how different we can see things when we begin to look through the eyes of faith and we view that situation how God sees it. You know, I heard a story about a little town in the Midwest several years ago. It's an illustration, but they had suffered some extreme drought for about three years in a row, and it was an agricultural community. So obviously, because of a lack of rainfall, things got very desperate. Crops began to dry up, and the livestock began to suffer. People were even losing their farms because they couldn't provide and and, meet their financial obligations. And so finally one day, the local pastor of the town called for a prayer meeting on a Saturday morning, and he wanted all the townspeople to come out and to meet in the park, and they were going to pray for rain. Well, when he got there, he said people were just kind of milling around, and he said they seemed very skeptical, didn't seem to have a lot of faith, but they were desperate. So he says, as they began to pray, he happened to look up and there was something that caught his attention and actually renewed his own faith. He said, there in the middle of this big crowd was a little girl about nine years old with a bright red umbrella. 
He says, they began to pray. She opened up that umbrella and held it above her head. She came expecting rain. She expected the Lord to answer prayer. And rain it did. But you know you can come to God asking for something. You come expecting something. But when you get your eyes off your circumstances and your difficulties, get them on the Lord. That's when things begin to change. You know, faith enabled Peter to walk towards Jesus in spite of his circumstances. Doubt caused him to sink because of those circumstances. But again, Jesus will save the sinker before he rebukes the doubter. Maybe you're struggling this morning with doubt in your own heart, in your own life. You know, the problem was Peter took his eyes off Jesus. That's what doubt will do. It'll get us to momentarily look away from the Lord, and that's where the problems begin. But if you're struggling with doubt, you can do what Peter did. Get your eyes right back on Jesus. He looked back to the Lord, and he cried out. He said, Lord, save me. And immediately, immediately Jesus was there to pluck him out of the water and to save him. You know, doubt isn't a sin. Doubt is a temptation. But like all temptation, we must resist it because we know prolonged doubt can lead to something called unbelief. And that's when it becomes a sin. You know, if Peter had continued to focus on the wind and the waves, he would have been swallowed up and lost, but he did the right thing. He got his eyes back on Jesus. You know, you can do the same thing today. If you're struggling with doubt, whatever it may be, you can get your eyes on Jesus. The Bible tells us we're to look, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's where our faith comes from when we get our eyes on Jesus, you know? Looking unto Jesus literally, the translation means looking at nothing else but Jesus. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. That means not looking at others. How easy it is to become discouraged by looking at others. How many people have blamed others for their own failures and their own doubts? We don't do that. We stand before the Lord as individuals, and we must look to Jesus. We can't look at others. People will let us down. You know what? You'll let other people down at times. Somebody once said, if you find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up. None of us are perfect, but we don't look at others. We don't look at ourselves. Some people look at their strengths. Others look at their weaknesses, but that's not the place to look. Some people who think they're so capable don't have any need of the Lord. Others feel like they're so incapable. All they can do is say, Lord, I can't, I can't, I can't. Well, you know, that can turn to I won't. We can't look at ourselves or our own weaknesses or our shortcomings. We have to look to Jesus. And certainly we don't want to look at our circumstances. The Bible says in this world, you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That is a promise from God. That's the promise you can stand on. Don't look at the tribulation. Don't look at the problems. Look to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. You know, there's a lot of definitions for faith, and I was thinking about this. But really, I think faith in its simplest terms, as far as biblical faith, is simply taking God at his word. Just believing what God's word says. It says faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God. Nothing more, nothing less. It's simply saying, I'm going to stand on God's promises regardless of what my circumstances say, regardless of the situations in my life, regardless of what the doctors say. I'm going to stand on God. I'm going to stand on his promises. That's where we find the victory and the faith to continue on. You know, faith is not subject to appearances or reasoning. It's not subject to our emotions. It's not determined by circumstances. And it's certainly not shaken by delays. Sometimes people have prayed for things for days, weeks, months, even years, but they've got a hold of a promise and they don't stop praying until the Lord answers. Just because your prayer isn't answered the first time, it doesn't mean God isn't hearing you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You are saved through faith. That's it. Not of yourselves. You can't try hard enough to save yourself. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't even matter if you prayed a hundred times and nothing happened. If you will choose to believe God this morning, take him at his word, you can be saved. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus raised him from the dead. It says you shall be saved. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you're willing to do that this morning, I can guarantee you on the authority of God's word, you will be saved. Maybe you think, well, maybe another day, maybe today is not the right day. No. The Bible says today. Today is the day of salvation. If you'll believe that, if you'll step out of faith, God will save you. Or whatever you may need, you need to be sanctified. God can sanctify you today. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Today is the day. God has made it available. If we leave God's presence empty-handed, that's not on the Lord. That's on us. But we want to believe God's word and receive what he tells us we can have. And in closing, I'd like to just share a testimony. I found this quite encouraging this has to do with faith and holding on in faith. This is by a lady named Emma Brown. She said, When I had been married two years, I gave my heart to the Lord. My husband was not a Christian, and for many years I prayed for him. I desperately wanted him to be saved. We had all the material advantages we needed, but more than once I told my husband that I would rather live in a shack with him saved than to have all of these material things. Twenty-one years after I was saved, while praying at church, God gave a wonderful promise to me. I was lost in prayer when I saw a vision of my husband kneeling at the foot of an old rugged cross. As I drove home that day, I remembered praising the Lord as though my husband had already been saved. The burden was gone. My faith, however, was tested for the next 14 years. Then my husband suddenly became seriously ill and was taken to the hospital. The doctor said there was little hope for his recovery, but there was no fear in my heart for I had a promise from God. 
When people asked about him, I answered that God was with us and that I was just waiting to hear that my husband had been saved. As they were preparing my husband for surgery, he cried out to God for mercy. Thank the Lord his cry was heard and answered. The Lord saved him lying right there in the hospital bed. What rejoicing for both of us. After 35 years of praying alone, I'm so thrilled to have a praying home. That's what faith does. Gets a hold of a promise and it doesn't let go. And God can answer those promises. God's promises are yea and amen to those that believe. There's not one thing, not one promise that fails in God's word. The failure's on our part, but you know, you can pray like that man who came seeking the Lord to save his child, or heal his child. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You can pray that prayer and the Lord will help you today. Let's come and sing the song of seven, or come and pray the song of 727. Come and seek the Lord. Reach out on faith. God will answer your prayer today.